I have no idea. Wait a minute. I can't believe it. I can't believe what I'm saying. It's, you people. What's with him? You know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. Hey, yo, y'all know me, I'm Shug, you know why I'm here. And it's Shug Me The Mooney, episode 88. And today we have a lot to cover because, you know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about, you know, the baseball being a missed lockout. And, you know, between this show and the last show, that lockout is over. And, you know, I'm going to discuss the details of the new CBA that, you know, has been brought into play that made it possible for us to see baseball in 2022, but not only baseball in 2022, uh, baseball only basically about two weeks later than we should have. But, you know, some really, really sad news this week. Um, you know, a wrestler like we uh, love, you know, you always see, you know, when Mike was on here, you know, Mike wearing wrestling shirts, you'd see me wearing wrestling shirts, you see us doing wrestling segments. Um, so, you know, we were very fond of, you know, Scott Hall slash Razor Ramon, whatever you know him better as. Um, obviously, I knew him more as, you know, his, his regular name, Scott Hall, and I was introduced to him being Razor Ramon as I always used to detail you know when I got into wrestling it was around 1998 and kind of what I used to do as a kid was hang around um I mean not hang around but uh, every now and again I would visit like Blockbuster and go into like the wrestling DVD section and look at old you know uh WWE you know then WWF videos and see you know, some of these guys I know from WCW and come to realize like they used to be in WWE and one of them people was like Razor Ramon. And I'm like, you know, this dude looks just like Scott Hall. And, you know, uh, I was very fond of him as a kid watching wrestling because I love the NWO. I love the NWO Wolfpack, most of all, or the NWO Red and Black, whatever you know them as. As you always see me wearing the red and black NWO colors and never really the black and white. You know, that's that's the one that's, that was near and dear to my heart because I love Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. And, you know, I always love the theme song. And one of the things that I always loved about that variation of the NWO was that they were heavily influenced by... Tupac and Snoop Dogg and Death Row records and that's kind of like how they got their whole vibe like if you ever checked it you know they spelled it W-O-L-F-P-A-C because of Tupac and you know they 
always wear their bandana, how Tupac would wear it, you know, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. So it always showed that they had like an appreciation for hip hop culture without like appropriating it. And in his um, Razor Ramon character, you know, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago when we talked about, you know, Scarface and Carlito's way and Al Pacino playing Latino characters where like these people were done in a way where it wasn't even trying to like mimic or make fun of Hispanic culture or Latin people. But for some reason, for a lot of like Latin people, it kind of like resonated with them. And I actually seen like a tweet where this this uh, person was talking about how her mom was crying when Scott Hall died. And, and, you know, her mom was like, oh, my God, no, it's Razor. Razor Ramon died. It's, it's, it's sad. And like the girl says to her mom, like, mom, you do know, like, he's not really like Latino. Like he's not Hispanic. He's white. And the mom said, no, like he's he's Spanish to me. And. You know, like I said, it was dumb kind of, um, you know, having an appreciation for the culture. Uh, Kevin Nash always talked about it, too, how they emulated uh, Tupac and, you know, the thug life and, you know, thug life for life. That type of stuff influenced them. And it wasn't done to, like, say, oh, like, we're going to do it and we're going to make it cool. It's like, no, nah, this shit's cool and it's going to make us look cool because we're doing it and i think that's the difference where like cultural appropriation differs and it's more so cultural appreciation but he always had like a influence just on you know pop culture and wrestling culture a story that came across i think like 10 years ago uh i kind of missed it but it resurfaced now where he he appeared on jerry springer show uh, in the early 90s while he was still with WWE and I had two kids who had AIDS, HIV AIDS and this was during a time where there was a lot of um, ignorance towards you know the, the virus and people with the virus and you know these kids came on the show and just talked about how you know they go to school and you know they felt alienated um, not just by like other kids but also like teachers um, you know, how it was difficult for them to get up every day and take all of this different medication, what little medication that they had to deal with AIDS. Uh, Razor Ramon came out and he made them feel like the most special kids in the world because he came out, gave them gear, gave them like their own championship, uh, intercontinental championship belts that they still have to this day. And both of them lived to adulthood. And this was like a, a, a disease at the time that was very much like a death sentence to a lot of people and these kids lived to adulthood to the point that one of them like got married had kids you know the kid runs around and plays with that same belt that um scott hall gave to him as a kid on the jerry springer show and to me i always felt like he was like a champion in life uh just for the fact that all of the you know we all know that like he was pretty tight with you know, the click uh, with, you know, Triple H and HBK and Kevin Nash and Sean Waltman. But, you know, he had other relationships outside of them, such as, you know, with the late Kurt Hennig, um, with Diamond Dallas Page, who actually helped him overcome some of his, like, personal vices. And he's one of the few iconic wrestlers that never won a world title. He was never, like, the top guy, but 
you know, there's a lot of guys, you know, I thought about it when he passed. There's a lot of guys that won world championships. And I'm pretty sure if you did like an all-time great wrestler list, like uh, Scott Hall would be above a lot of people as far as like how memorable he was and his impact on the business, especially when he went to WCW and what they did in, you know, the late 90s when they it basically looked like they were about to put the WWE out of business. Like if you became a wrestler or you wanted to be anything in life, um, you'd want to be the best at it. You want to be the top guy. Like you don't desire to just be like an MLB player. You want to be a Cy Young winner, MVP, all-star, all of that. Like you don't dream of being a major leaguer and not dream being like, oh my God, I'm going to be on the end of the bench. You know, so I always wondered how guys get into the wrestling biz and basically be, you know, jobbers or mid-card guys. And Scott Hall is one of them dudes that never held a world title, but he's far more memorable than a lot of people who have won world titles. And it's basically a love of the biz. Like, one of the terms they would use is, you know, this guy's a worker. You know, it's a little bit more special when you're on, like, the middle of the card. People want to see you wrestle. People want to see you speak. And, you know, there's a lot of, like, touching tributes by, like, Kevin Nash. Like, he tweeted something um, after Scott passed, and it, it really touched my heart because, you know, this is somebody that's been in your life for, like, four decades, basically your whole adult life, and, like, they're no longer here. And, you know, it was it was really sad. Um, it, you know, we, we were told, like, he was in a bad condition but it was basically confirmed by Nash that you know he wasn't too long for this earth because you know they were just basically waiting to get his his family together to pull him off life support and you know say their last goodbyes and then he finally passed on and in the wrestling biz a lot of guys don't live long lives but they it's sad nonetheless and this was definitely one that Hit, you know, very, very hard. Like, when you, you found out, like, he was um, going to pass soon, it, it definitely stung. As I said, he he didn't hold a world championship, but he was a world champion in life just for the fact that, you know, he had such a significant wrestling career. Like, he pops up on WCW basically playing Razor Ramon, but he was himself. And, you know, it was one of those, like, turning points in the history of the wrestling business he'll, he'll always be significant or that. you can't tell the story of the wrestling business without mentioning scott hall like he was you know one of the more pivotal people in wrestling as we see it today you know who knows like if he doesn't show up on wcw he doesn't leave wwe to come to wcw perhaps like wwe isn't on usa network and a billion dollar industry because at that point, it, it, the, the business itself was kind of getting stale and they kind of turned the point that started lighting the fire on their, their competition and initiated like the Attitude Era, which basically took WWE to another level. And even though he didn't keep WCW afloat, you know, WCW obviously didn't last more than five years after he first showed up on Nitro, but it really jump-started 
the business as it is today because, you know, AEW probably doesn't exist if he doesn't go to WCW and start shaking things up and bring in, you know, opening the door for Nash to come in and then for them to bring in Hulk Hogan um, and, and flip him around and make him a heel. I basically totally changed the business because uh, WCW at that point and WWE at that point was were basically you know, relics of the 80s, and it was kind of like mirror bound. And, you know, stuff like ECW was kind of niche. As far as the mainstream goes, it probably doesn't start without a Kevin, without a, a Scott Hall. You know, and it's sad for me because, you know, when he got that second run in WWE, um, basically all three, I think Hogan probably had the more significant um, second run after WCW um, was bought out. But Nash had like a good little run um before injuries started setting in. Um, but Hall didn't really get that opportunity because you know he started getting injured and unfortunately his uh second run with WWE ended with the plane ride from hell, which we detailed a few uh months ago with the Dark Side of the Ring episode. But you know, that was in the end of his WWE chapter and you know, life goes on and, you know, he still had the time to turn it around and get his life together, which he eventually did, as I said, with the help of Diamond Dallas Page and as well as his friends. So much so he was able to be enshrined in the WWE Hall of Fame twice, once as Razor Ramon and also, again, as part of the NWO um, fairly recently. I can't remember which year, but it was within the last couple of years. So he definitely got his flowers, gave a, a memorable Hall of Fame speech. And this is probably going to be the umpteen time, 511 time, 50 million time you've heard it this week. But hard work pays off. Bad times don't last, but bad guys do. RIP to the great Scott Hall. You will always be remembered here on Show Me The Morning, and as well as in the wrestling world and outside the wrestling world. You know, I just thought I'd open the show talking about Scott Hall, but we got a lot, of, lot to get into with MLB because they have this whole new CBA, and it's a lot of changes, and I'm just going to give my thoughts on each of them. You know, they got together kind of like the 11th hour, we basically miss like two weeks of string training and possibly um, two series of the baseball season. But they hammered things out. Free agency basically started and, and everybody made it seem like it was going to be like July 1st in the NBA where all of these teams would start signing players, all of these trades would happen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or the NFL, sometimes that happens. It's been the same old slow drip unfortunately that the MLB offseason has been but perhaps um you know as the spring training goes we'll see a lot more signings and a lot more trades and a lot more moves not to say that there haven't been a good amount uh recently it's just not been at the rapid pace that um we'd hope but let's get into this new CBA they're gonna have a new draft lottery uh, for the top six picks starting next year in 2023. And they've actually done something that a lot of, I don't know, at least the NBA has 
it's the idea has been floated where it's like they're trying to curtail tanking or intentionally lose them for a higher draft pick. And one of the ways they're going to do that is big, is in that no small market team or, as they say, revenue sharing recipient, but small market to the layman um, can have a lot of pick three years in a row. So after the third year, you can't have a lottery pick. And for larger market teams, technically revenue sharing payers, uh, they can't have a lottery pick for more than two years in a row. And after the third year for the small market teams and the second year for the large market teams, the highest would be 10th. So this is actually like one of the positive changes because Baseball has kind of been in a mode where a lot of teams kind of, not kind of, but in, emphatically just decide not to win, not just for like a season, but for years. I mean, like in the NBA, basically they have one season where the San Antonio Spurs lost Sean Ellis and David Robinson for a season. So they were kind of like, all right, well, we could kind of, take it easy this season and lose a bunch of games and end up with a uh, a high lottery pick, which eventually was the first overall pick. And then you got Tim Duncan, who was a generational player, and he could just change the franchise. So essentially, they only had to do that for one year. But in baseball, it's like you're filling out a 26-man roster. Guys have to go through the minors. So it's really hard for a team to turn around in – one year and this is where teams would have to get more creative you know make some trades you know invest more in player development and scouting and stuff like that um instead of just you know tanking so you don't have to pay guys and essentially you could just reap the revenue of you know people showing up to the ballpark and your share of like tv contracts etc 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 without actually um, doing anything to encourage fans to come to the ballpark and support your team. So I'm glad they're, they're making that change, and that's one of the, tra- the changes. Uh, another thing I'm kind of glad for, but honestly, with my team, I really don't see it making a big difference, is that instead of the luxury tax starting at $210 million, where it's kind of been for the last couple of years, it's going to start at $230 million. And it's going to increase between three and four million dollars each year um, between now and 2026. And the thresholds, as presently constituted, go up to 290 million. As of right now, the highest salaries uh, or the, the, the highest payrolls in baseball are the Mets at 285, the Dodgers, I think around 260, and then Currently, the Yankees are at about 230, 240. So, you know, we'll see what, what happens, whether or not, you know, that encourages teams to spend more. I don't think it's going to encourage the Yankees to spend more. But, you know, who knows? And finally, they've gotten the universal DH, and I don't think it's ruffled many feathers because all of the quote-unquote baseball purists who have been saying that pitchers – hitting and the National League uh, not having a DH was technically real baseball, having come out of the woodwork to complain about instituting a universal DH. Uh, But it's actually really, really good because now instead of 
there being 15 jobs for guys who probably aren't great in the field, but could still, you know, hit for contact or hit for power, you know, now there's 30 jobs. So, you know, a lot of these guys would have probably just been like glorified pinch hit specialists for a national league team now are going to get regular gigs and get like, you know, four or 500 at bats every year. And again, like I said, it creates more jobs and it's actually a good thing. And it led to one of the changes that we're going to see in the next season in 2023 um, that I'm going to talk about in a little bit. But another thing is like pitchers won't get hurt anymore. Um, A lot of pitchers, you know, get hurt swinging a bat. A lot of them get hurt running the bases. You know, for Yankees fans, we all know about Shengming Wong where this guy was a damn good pitcher, um, ground ball specialist, but, you know, would be a consistently dependable starting pitcher. And back when Houston was in the National League, got on base, got hurt round in second base, and basically was never the same pitcher again. And a lot of these, uh, I think virtually the National League was the only league that's left um on any level you know whether it be in college uh high school uh the minors even japan korea all these other places like everybody's adopted the dh except for the national league until now so a lot of these pitchers that have been hitting you know this is literally the first time they that they've had to have an at bat and you know now that you know we're protecting guys from that and we can actually just have actual hitters, you know, who've seen 90 mile and 100 mile an hour pitchers, pitches at the plate instead of these guys, you know, that's, that's a value in of itself. You know, guys will get hurt less. And this current CBA that they just agreed upon is going to last for five years. So uh, all of the drama and turmoil that have happened has happened in this offseason. You won't see again until 2027. Or the off season of the twenty twenty six MLB season into the twenty twenty seven MLB season. So hopefully things work out and we don't have to deal with this again. Part of it is the expanded postseason, which I touched upon before when we talked about the lockout. There will be six teams in each league. You're gonna have the three division winners and you're gonna have three wild cards and the top two records, the top two division. Winners, I should say, not top two records because, you know, the top two records could be two teams from the same division. Um, but the top two records amongst the division winners will go straight to the league division series and the lowest division winner and the three wildcard teams will be playing three game series. That will be the new wildcard round. Uh, they'll be seated as such. Obviously, the third division leader would be the third seed and the highest seeded wild card would be would be the fourth seed and the second highest and third highest would be the fifth and sixth seed respectfully the lower seed would play the third division winner and the second highest wild card record would be playing the highest wild card team and those games would all be taking place in the number three seed and the highest wild card seeds um stadium 
it's such a difference in just baseball. You know, I'm kind of annoyed by it because, you know, baseball for the first like 60 something years, only two teams, only one team from each league made the postseason. Then they expanded to divisional play where one team from each division would make it to the championship series. And then 1993, they added the Marlins and the Rockies, expanded the playoffs to have wild cards and split into, you know, three divisions in each league. And that basically remained up until 2011, 2012. But this is like the second time they've expanded the playoffs and they haven't expanded the league itself. So it's kind of a hard pill to swallow that more and more teams are getting into the postseason and the MLB postseason is not exclusive as exclusive as it has been. You know, still technically it has the lowest amount of teams to make the postseason of any of the sports, but I think that was kind of the beauty of the 162-game season where you can't really fluke through 162 games, so it was kind of definitive, you know, who the cream of the crop were. And now, you know, essentially teams with uh you know 84 85 wins could possibly could possibly dethrone um teams that have won like a ton of games over the season you know boy i understand the idea of like having more postseason games you get uh you know four extra series and national broadcasts and stuff like that but you know as you know a baseball fan it's like this is such a a grand shift you know but I was kind of wary about the second wild card when it was first introduced and kind of got used to it so I'm assuming I'm gonna get used to this um and I guess you know that pandemic shortened 2020 season was um kind of like the breathing ground even though it was eight teams from each league that got in and I'm pretty sure like owners probably pushed for like up to eight game eight teams but you know settle for you know six in each league so it's, it's gonna be interesting and obviously and and the thing with that is uh the schedule of the league is going forward is actually gonna change um not this season but next season in order to justify this uh one of the things on the table was a grievance that MLBPA filed against the Miami Marlins, Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Tampa Bay Rays as far as revenue sharing usage. And, you know, that's still pending. That was one of the things that was on the table, possibly um, as far as when the players union, you know, things the players union would have probably had to concede in order to get certain things from the owners. And, you know, apparently that's going to be still on the table. So they're going to still be litigating that one of the things that was thrown in towards the end was an international draft and it wasn't really decided in the cba um or it wasn't pertinent to um the ratifying of a new cba but i guess they put like a little extension on it because by july 25th of this year it must be approved by the MLBPA and MLB owners, whether or not there would be an international draft. And if there is, part of that agreement is that free agent draft pick compensation would be ended. So no longer would 
or draft pick compensation would be attached to players anymore. So that was one of the things, you know, with the qualifying offer where, you know, teams would lose draft picks for signing people. Like that's no longer going to happen anymore should the international draft be put in place, which I assume means that the qualifying offer would also go away as well. And, you know, one of the things that this, you know, contentious um, negotiation and stall of MLB activity, like a byproduct of it, is that, you know, the game is, is, you know, waning in popularity, basically, amongst, you know, the other major sports. And I don't think this offseason helped much, but... You know, there have been little things in the CBA that's actually going to try to expand and grow the game, Um, not only here in America and as well as in Canada with, you know, Toronto, but all around the world because they announced that starting next year in 2023, there will be a game in Mexico City every year in May and there will be a game every year in London in June except for 2025 where that game would be played in Paris you know I watched the Yankees play the Red Sox in London it was you know from a, 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 a you know watching it on TV it looked like the 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 English fans were really 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 into it um the stadium was kind of not really built for baseball because you know, the ball was like flying out of Wembley, like at like a crazy rate. But the people over there look very excited and very entertained by it. And you see it too with the NFL. So if you could grow the game over there and as well as, you know, let's see what these games in Paris, you know, how they go. Um, you know, Mexico, uh, they have their own baseball league. So the sport itself is popular down there. And in 2024, two seasons from now, Games will be played in Puerto Rico and DR in spring training. I thought I was kind of like disappointed because I was like, why not regular season games? But I figured they want to have like a whole bunch of games. So due to the facilities probably in DR and Puerto Rico, you know, they're closer to spring training facilities here in America um, as far as like capacity. So that's why they probably prefer to have spring training games there. Either way, major league players and major league teams will be in Puerto Rico and in DR. So that I really can't say help grows the game because, you know, the sport's pretty popular in those countries to begin with. But it's going to, you know, be, you know, really big events down there in those islands for those people. So that's really exciting. And then opening day, an opening day game. Um, it's not just a game, but I would assume, you know, well, it could possibly be one game and then, you know, they travel back here and play the rest of the series uh, here in this country. But the same one opening day game will be in Asia in 2024. And in 2025 and 2026, there will be games in San Juan in September. And that's what I'm saying. I think like, you know, um, you know, they have the one stadium there in Puerto Rico where they've been having games. Um, Way back when the Expos, they would have like a, a handful of series down in Puerto Rico. They recently had a game um, a 
couple years back with um the Indians, uh then Indians, now the Guardians. So I was part of the new MLB <laughs> going forward. Um, so you know, those are always fun games. You know, one of the stickling points during the negotiation and one of the things that the MLBPA wanted to fight for was that the minimum salary would increase and it has it's going to be 700,000 and each year it's going to go up uh, during a CBA by 20,000 so by 2026 it should be 800,000 um, and for the first time ever, like 40 man players down in the minors will now have a minimum salary and they've set aside different salaries for split salary. I'm not too sure what they are, but the main thing is that if you're a minor league player and you're on your club's 40 man roster, now the, there's a minimum salary. So no longer could they just be paying you like a couple hundred dollars a week and you have to be doing Uber driving or pick up side gigs while playing in the minors anymore. So that's, that's great. And, you know, it's really cool because MLB PA is kind of looking out for their newest members and any new rule changes, you know, we obviously had like a whole bunch of wild rule changes such as, you know, the run on second base, in extra innings, uh, seven inning double headers, pitch clocks, bound visit limitations, three batter minimum, all of these things that have been put in place unilaterally by uh, Rob Manfred or the commissioner of baseball. But now they only need to be made 45 days in advance or at least announced 45 days in advance um previously it was a year and from what i gather i might be wrong the difference now is that so say like the rob manfred was making a decision to have the runners on second be a permanent thing starting in 2023 as long as it was a year notice that it was going to happen like bing bang boom it's just going to happen in 2023 and the mlb players union would just have to accept it but now you know, if it was like 45 days from opening day, he could start it this year. But the difference is that there is an 11 person committee that's going to vote on it, which would include six league officials, four union officials and one umpire. So they would all have to uniform, you know, come to some kind of consensus to agree on our rule. And then um, the decision would be made by the commissioner of baseball so that's something different another contentious thing was the pre-arbitration bonus pool which is something completely new never done before but obviously if you ever seen players burst on the scene and basically beat impact players off the bat mike trout I believe he was like second in mvp um in his first full season Aaron judge second in mvp voting his first season, should have won it. Vlad Guerrero this past season, this is what his like second or third season, second MVP voting, where these guys are MVPs. Uh, we just talk about the league minimum, uh, end up walking away with the league minimum in salary. And it just seemed very, very unfair. And, you know, it was just ironic, especially during 
Mike Trout's time, you know, he was getting paid like five, you know, whatever the minimum was back then, which is far less than 700000 And the person he lost the MVP to, or he was neck and neck with, was Miguel Cabrera, where he was probably getting paid like $25 million a year. And, you know, that discrepancy started to get louder and louder and louder. So now it's going to be $50 million. This pool is going to be $50 million that's taken from the MLB revenue. And it's going to be divided divided amongst pre-arbitration players who are award winners, Cy Young, MVP, whether you finish first, second, or third. You know, and there's going to be different tiers to that. Uh, rookie of the year, first or second, and all, all MLB team, which is something I think they started like a year or two ago. Um, whether you end up on a first or the second team there, and then the rest of it would be divided amongst the top 100 pre-arbitration players based on their war, wins above replacement. So that's great because it's not just like a handful of players going to be you know, rewarded for having a great season. Obviously, it's not anywhere close to what their actual value would be in dollars, but, you know, it's far better than, you know, putting up like a 50 home run season and carrying the team to the playoffs and then still walking away with the league minimum. Uh, another thing is they've added incentives. This kind of goes hand in hand with the pre arbitration thing. They've added incentives that would persuade teams, possibly persuade teams. I say possibly because teams might still do whatever they want anyways. Persuade teams not to manipulate service time. You know, we've seen this a lot where players, you know, are brought up in May or June or July. I probably should have been on the roster and open them day because, you know, the later you bring them up, um, the less service time they get, the less closer their day in arbitration would be with the team where they would be making, you know, possibly making tens of millions of dollars. And then some, you know, the incentives are that they would probably gain draft picks or um, international draft picks if the international draft is instituted. So these these are, you know, cool things that, that have been brought up upon uh, help the young players and the MLB players in general. The MLB trade deadline now is not beholden to being on July 31st. It will now be anywhere between July 28th and August 3rd. And the date of it has to be set by December 1st of the previous year. Not huge news, but you know, this is something different that will be going forward because, you know, we already, you know, abide by that day, you know, July 31st. Like, yeah, you know, we know that's a deadline, but now it's going to be a, a arbitrary day, much like it is in, you know, other sports. But the biggest thing that I kind of, like, missed, and one of my coworkers actually brought it up to me, and I thought he was – uh, you know, I thought he must have misheard something, but apparently it's very much real. Is that starting in 2023, next season, every team will play all 29 other major league baseball teams in their own league and in the national, in their own league as well as the other league. 
And it's going to be done in a way that seems pretty fair. And this is the thing I was talking about with the playoff expansion where, you know, basically every team is going to be playing just about an even schedule. You know, the teams that you'll be going up against for the division, teams you'll be going up against for a wild card spot, teams you'll be going up against if you're the second and third division leaders. You know, you're going to have pretty much identical schedules at this point because they're going to change it up. Division games will go from 19 games against the four teams in the division to four teams. And this is going to be a one three-game series in each stadium, one four-game series in each stadium. Uh, so seven and seven, home and away against your division rivals. And in the other league divisions, you know, we see this be three games and four games, um, three games and three games, but now it's going to be uniformly six games, three and three, home and away. How the interleague schedule is going to work out now is you're going to play your rival team. Your rival team, obviously, here in New York, Mets, Yankees, Chicago, White Sox, Cubs, L.A., Angels, Dodgers, Bay Area, um, Giants and A's, but, you know, they have other ones that, you know, you'd kind of have to be like a baseball aficionado to understand, such as like the Braves and the Red Sox. That one's because the Braves used to play in Boston. Uh, you'd have, you know, Philly, uh, Toronto, which I think is because of the 1993 World Series. Um, but then you have very obscure ones, such as like the Tigers and Pirates and the Padres and the Mariners. And um, I think it's like the Diamondbacks and the Astros and the Rangers and the, the, the Rockies. But point is, those series will be two and two, you know, two games. You know, one stadium or in one of the team stadiums, two games in the other team stadium. Then for the rest of the league, it's going to be three games against each other team. It's going to be seven series at home, seven series away, and they'll alternate the home and away series every season. So that way it won't be like, okay, the Yankees have to play the Pirates in Pittsburgh four straight years, or the Red Sox play the Dodgers in Fenway Park, like, four straight years. So this is a whole new thing, and I think it's something that they were able to do. They kind of you, – you could tell they were kind of working towards it when they evened out the leagues. You know, you started having interleague series every day instead of during a certain time period during the season. Um, and the universal DH, it, it helps in making this possible because teams would – you know, they wouldn't have to go through long stressors stretches with a lineup that they won't usually have um or for american league teams they wouldn't have to sit a guy for long stretches of time so it should work out it's going to be pretty cool and like i say this is a positive in trying to grow the game because you know uh if you're an nl fan um a single city nl fan you know because i'm a New York fans. So basically I could see all 30 teams, you know, just, you know, a matter of if I feel like going to Queens or not. But if you're in like Pittsburgh and once every 
like three or four years, the Angels play in Pittsburgh. Let's say Mike Trout or Shohei Otani is injured during our series. You missed that player. But now, every other year, you'll be able to see them, as well as other stars in the other league that you wouldn't regularly get to see. So I think this new CBA, as a fan, seems like a positive. I think the players essentially got what they wanted. I think the owners, you know, from the looks of it, the only thing they really got that they wanted from the get-go was the playoffs being expanded. But, you know, I don't think players are going to be mad at that because, you know, that's a little bit more money when you get the playoff shares, you know, divided up. So I'm really excited. I'm really glad to have baseball back. Um, But, you know, I just thought, like, I'd do this whole segment because this – it's really odd, like a lot of vastly different rules and baseball is going to look different. And, you know, change is always fun, you know, to move out of the status quo. All right. Award of the week for this week goes to my mayor, mayor of New York City, Eric Adams. Seems like a nice dude, but man, does he not get it? Because I'm giving him a word a week for confusing the hell out of everybody. So this past Sunday, the New York Knicks and the Brooklyn Nets met at the Barclays Center. Fun game. It seems like I had to work. So I kind of was watching, you know, as I was coming and going, you know, tight, close game. Uh, unfortunately, my Knicks lost. But the story of the game was the fact that Kyrie Irving, due to... Eric Adams lifting the indoor uh, vaccination mandate was able to attend the game, but was not able to play the game, which caused a lot of confusion amongst everyone. Vaxxers, anti-vaxxers. Um, it just seemed incredible that, you know, he could be in the stadium or the arena, but not playing the game. Cause at that point was what's the difference, but um, and therein lies the confusion that he's he's caused. Because for the mandate, um, when he lifted the mandate, he lifted the mandate for just patrons to go to restaurants, movies, indoor events, or places without having to show proof of vaccination. But he didn't lift it for you know the private sectors or employers and employees. Um, thus, Kyrie still an employee of the. Brooklyn Nets couldn't play in the game, but he could, in fact, be a um, paying fan, which by most accounts, he bought his ticket. He wasn't invited by the Brooklyn Nets or he wasn't um, allowed to enter by the Brooklyn Nets. He bought his own tickets and came in as a fan and they made a whole hoopla of it. And listen, man, I'm... you know, firmly on the side of, you know, Kyrie should definitely get vaccinated. I think anybody who isn't vaccinated should get vaccinated, but um, it is confusing. And I feel like, you know, if you're going to lift like that indoor uh, vaccination mandate, you know, you might as well have just lifted everything. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people feel. But me personally, I, I feel as though he should have just kept the status quo. Um, I think it's the safest thing to do. I think we're seeing in other countries that, you know, there are, as things start to get loosened and, you know, the whole country is not fully vaccinated, that 
they're starting to shut things down. And, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me that, you know, after we've seen what happened in December, after we've seen what happened in December, that, you know, something like that couldn't happen here because, you know, when we saw a spike in December, it was essentially preceded by spikes in other countries and around the country. So I think that um we need to get safe. People need to go out, get vaccinated. I think that's the safest thing. I think we need to go out and get boosted. I myself, I need to go out and get boosted. But you know, I've avoided you know COVID since the beginning of it, and part of that included you know everything that all the safety measures that have been put in front of me and all the information that's put in front of me. And I'm not going to deny it as others like Kyrie have, such as, you know, when I first started, start wearing a mask. If you go out, make sure you, you know, try to wear gloves. If you're not wearing gloves, carry around hand sanitizer, stay six feet away from people. And then when things got a little bit loose or when the vaccination popped up, you know, I went, got my shot, been great been avoiding it, haven't been affected by it, been around people who's tested positive by it, and still haven't gotten it. So, you know, I'd encourage people to go out and get vaccinated if you haven't already. We're already more than a year into this. Well, more than a year into the pandemic, obviously, it's like going into our third year, but, you know, we're a year into, you know, being able to get vaccinated. But it's just a whole heap of confusion. I think, you know, he was probably pressed by, you know, the pe- people who donated to his campaign and stuff like that. And I think you can't really put like public safety in front of um your own political like allegiances. And it's just again, I, I keep saying it's still astounding that this is such a politicized thing. And that's why Eric Adams is getting a water week. But it does not stop there because Eric Adams is getting honorable mention for award a week also so this is the first time we've got a um two-time winner you know we talked about wrestling a little bit earlier now it's starting to feel like when you know the wwe champion has like the u.s belt or they have the intercontinental championship at the same time or when a woman like becky lynch has like two belts at the same time Eric Adams is holding a order week for both times for doing his best Andrew Yang impression where um, a gentleman put out a tweet saying like he ran into Eric Adams while wearing a Brooklyn Dodgers hat and was promptly told by Eric Adams that this is New York. We don't wear Boston hats, which as a Yankee fan, I appreciate the sentiment, but as a person with a brain, I also... I'm disappointed in the fact that he couldn't tell the difference between a Brooklyn Dodgers B and a Boston Red Sox B. Especially this, me coming from a person who's a Bronxite, very anti-Brooklyn, very anti-any borough that's not the Bronx. But as a former Brooklyn borough president, like you should know the one team that has represented Brooklyn. I'm not going to talk about that other team. We just talk about because you know even Brooklyn people don't even mess with the Nets but Brooklyn definitely loved the Dodgers so that was a highly uh disrespectful comment you know but this isn't just you know but it was it definitely reminded me of something that if Andrew Yang got any further in his field mayoral um pursuit that he would have eventually said and that's award of the week
for episode 88. Final thoughts. Love talking wrestling. Um, unfortunately, as we've always tragically joked, joked about in, you know, what the fuck funny and not really haha funny. You know, we talk about people. It seemingly feels like every other week we do a tribute to somebody who's just fast. But, you know, a lot of the people that we talk about on the show, like they deserve to be celebrated. And, you know, we try to give their flowers to them while they're here. But if they're not, we also try to give them their flowers then as well. And Scott Hall was definitely one of those people, as I said. I was like deeply, deeply saddened when um, Kevin Nash's tweet came across that they were intending on taking Scott Hall off of life support after um, his, you know, three heart attacks. Like, think about that for a second about like poetry that Razor Ramon, like the baddest man on the planet, you know, the bad guy. It literally took three heart attacks to, to, um, get a three count on him and even then it's like his family had to make the decision to let him go which is fortunate for him that he didn't have to live life you know as a shell of himself but he lived a a full um fulfilling life and you know I talked about his going on Jerry Springer show and you know making those kids day you know that, that had AIDS and it's just like you know, at that time, man, it really was like a time where people like wouldn't even like want to be in the same room with a person with AIDS because they didn't know much about the, the the disease or the virus and were just that much ignorant about it. And, you know, this guy came in full wrestling gear and just made those kids days. And to this day, the fact that they beat, you know, the odds that they were presented back then into adulthood and still are appreciative for what he did that day, you know, speaks volumes. One of the most iconic pictures that's been passed around is, um, even before he passed away, is this picture of him, like, I guess he was caught in, like, a vignette, and he was, like, in a Black neighborhood, and with all of these, like, Black kids sitting on, like, this porch. And it's just a cool pic because it don't seem like, you know, who the hell is this white guy, like, in this black neighborhood? It's, like, he's, he looks so, like, comfortable. Like, if you were driving through that neighborhood and you saw, like, Razor Ramon sitting on that porch with all them, like, black kids, like, you wouldn't even look twice. You would have been like, oh, okay. <laughs> he looks like he be, belongs. Like, he he, he looked like he fit in in that pick. And, um, you know, it's, it's sad and it's cool to see all the tributes that have been presented and you know I, I touched on it a little bit where like the rock was talking about like you know this match that he had with Scott Hall and how you know they talked about you know putting on a good match and this on the third and Scott Hall wasn't ex- expecting somebody that essentially was a com- contemporary of his even though Scott Hall had been in the business for a while but there were still guys who you know came around essentially at their prime years in the 90s he was so, you know, taken aback when Rock told him that, like, yeah, like, your in-ring style, your persona is something I learned, you know, is something that I studied and it influenced who I am today. And, you know, I talked about his uh, influence on wrestling and popular culture and stuff like that. But, you know, if you think about that for a second, 
you know, we always think about The Rock being influenced by like Dusty Rose and um, Ric Flair and those type of people. But if you think about it for a second, if you ever seen his promo when he first appeared on w, WCW Nitro and anytime he talked, his presence, especially as a heel, was very much, it seemed, influential on The Rock's character when he was, you know, you know, the arrogant, you know, people's champ rock. And, you know, possibly without that influence, The Rock probably isn't the rock we see today, the big movie star and, you know, this this huge icon in, in society. So the man had his 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 um influence everywhere he everywhere he went, he he left an impression. Uh MLB. I'm excited. I love to see new things. Um, the game obviously has been around for since like the 1860s. So obviously it's gonna change over time and they've added a lot new a lot of new changes, but you know, the things I'm really excited about is all of these um new changes for the kids that are coming up. Um, the future superstars where they could come up and they not really be you know, I want to say they're not going to get exploited, but not going to get get exploited as much as they would have. And um, shame on the owners, really, for just, like, dragging their feet on this. I'm glad that they finally got some kind of compromise. But the fact that it took so long and it was initially initiated by them, you know, it, it you know, it's, it's, it's sad on their part. But I'm really glad that come... April 7th of this year, we're going to be watching baseball. We're going to have a full season. I'm not too fond of these new rounds, but, you know, exciting three-game series, you know, coming down to the wire, game three, two te- hopefully it's two teams I don't care about. Hopefully the Yankees have the best record in the American League and I don't have to worry about the wild card series, but, you know, it's like the, the, the Angels and the Mariners and this – three game wildcard series and it's like the most exciting thing ever and that's the stuff I hope for but listen we put up Ivan Reitman's um tribute remembering Ivan Reitman I thought it was really fun doing our segment I'd been wanting to do it for years and now that I have the visuals and the stuff I'm talking about we can actually see I hope you guys check it out I hope you enjoy it please subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already Follow us on social media. You know my handles. Follow Mike's handles. All of those are all in our profile. But we are at Shook Me The Mooney on Twitter and on Instagram. And we'll see you next week. And this has been episode 88 of Shook Me The Mooney. Shook Me The Mooney. Shook Me The Mooney. <laughs>